Hey, look, look. Seriously, I get it. Your first name ain't Baby. It's Janet, or Miss Jackson if you're nasty. Let's start the show! Hello and welcome to the Drunker United Football Show, a completely biased recap of the English Premier League as told by two common American schmucks. I am your host, Sam Houston, and across the table from me is the ethereal Samuel Graham. How are we doing tonight, Sammy? Not too bad, man. Yourself? I like football. I bet you do after that get-out-of-jail-free card you got this weekend. Look, I'll take it. We are here at Studio H, uh, just outside the nation's capital. Uh, You can check us out on Apple Podcasts and Google Play if you're a weird Android user. Uh, If you like us, please subscribe and rate us. Also, should you have a question or just want to give us the old what for, you can contact us. Sammy, tell the good people how they can get in touch with us. Absolutely. So on Facebook, we are the DU Football Show. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at DU Football Show, all lowercase, or on email, DU Football Show at gmail.com, also all lowercase. Excellent. Sam and I both work in the wine and spirits industry. We both have a deep, passionate love for distilled spirits. So, as the red blooded Americans we are, we vow to have a drink in our hand throughout this show and every show. Sammy, what are we drinking tonight? I thought for new venture, we needed an old friend, so I brought along Clontarf Irish Whiskey. Ah. Very classic Irish Whiskey. Ticks every box you want it to tick for the low, low price of $24.99 on the shelf. It's not going to knock your socks off, but it's good everyday drinking. Oh, I'm not going to feel guilty when I drink an entire bottle of it, which I've been prone to do. I've seen that. It's not pretty. <laughs> Let's get this thing started. Cheers, mate. Cheers. All right, well then, let's go ahead and get into the games. So, uh, like a Maserati doing 30 miles an hour, <laughs> Manchester United 2, Leicester City 1. Yeah, it was more of the same from Jose's men. Um, very surprised across the league at the inclusions of some of the players that were from uh, the later stages of the World Cup. A lot but, of guys in the World Cup uh, saw action this weekend. Yeah, Pogba coming out playing in the final, but Lukaku left out of the squad playing the day before. I mean, he had an extra 24 hours rest. What was the issue there? Um, but, you know, getting into the game, I think the penalty was deserving. It was the right call. Looked a little controversial at first, but, you know, us now having the benefit of the replays, which the referees don't in England this year, uh, I thought it was the right call. And very coolly taken by Pogba, even though if you decided to watch it right now on slow-mo, we'd be here till Wednesday recording this. <laughs> uh, I think he took a few steps before going up <laughs> yeah, to take Yeah, just a couple. He walked to the KFC down the road from Old Trafford, the Neymar Road to. So, um, is Jose going to take the handcuffs off this team? I mean, he's he's got a sports car, and I'm not joking, he, he's... He's, I, I get it, it's Josie, he plays the, the defensive-minded game, but he's got so many attacking threats, and he just seems to hold it back. Well, based on this performance, no, he's not going to. I mean, this was a Leicester team that could have gotten got at, and he chose not to go at them. I mean, you have Marcus Rashford, you have Alexis Sanchez, you have a creative presence in Juan Mata, and he decides not to use them. I mean, you saw it after the penalty. They just retreated into themselves again, and Leicester did create chances. Leicester bossed the game in the first half. Absolutely. I think they created the better of the chances. Uh, United got a little lucky with that penalty. Again, it was the right call, but they could have created more. 
Yeah, and now do you think with uh, Vardy, if Vardy had been on the pitch in the first half of the game instead of Ian Nacho, do you think perhaps they might have slotted one away? I do, uh, and we saw that in the second half with his introduction. Um, the United backline just fell asleep. There wasn't a direct presence um, like Jamie Vardy in there with Ineacho. He's a good player, but he's still young. Runs are somewhat predictable. Um, but Vardy just charged right through. Ball hits off the post. He reacts first and heads in while the United backline's t- sitting there with their finger up their butt. Yeah, but that's probably the only thing that backline did wrong. I mean, for, for, for Mourinho constantly harping that he needed more money, that he wanted that he needed to buy a back line, which, by the way, newsflash, everybody, nobody has spent more money since being at a club than Mourinho has with Manchester United in his two seasons. True. But I thought the back line played admirably. I thought they did as well. I, I think all that was hogwash, you know, take away from their poor performances by saying outlandish things in the media, which he's known to do at his time at every club he's ever been at. Um, so with with them, I think Eric Bailly, you know, played admirably. I think he was strong, solid in the tackle, decisive, strong in the air. Uh, last year, he had that difficult time with the knee injury, and it was a little bit unfortunate for him, kind of stop start to the, to his United career. Um, but now I think you know they're gonna be they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. I just wish he would let the front line run, and he's got one of the greatest goalkeepers in the world behind that defense. True. Two serviceable players in reserve, and Phil Jones and Chris Smalling. I don't know why he doesn't let the forward players play, let the defenders defend, and see what happens. How uh, You can't help but feel good for uh, Luke Shaw, you know, after the amount of just bow, brow beating that he's taken from uh, Mourinho so far uh, since he's been there. And seeing him get a goal, his first uh, uh, professional goal, it was, it was, yeah. it was, yeah. you couldn't help but just be like, you know what? Right on, lad. Good. Well done. If I had been treated like Luke Shaw had, I would have. The ref would have blown the whistle at a march to the halfway line and mooned the manager. I'd have uh, pulled my pants right down. Yeah, but if you if you say that, then there's probably another nine, ten, I don't know, an entire bench who would probably like to do that Mourinho at some point because, uh, yeah, like you said, he's prone to uh, take a jab at the media with uh, his players on a regular basis. Um, looking over at Leicester, uh, how about the premiere of Ryan Madsen? I, he had himself a match. Welcome to the Premier League, young lad. Yes, sir. He gave Fred a ton of problems uh, and also made Fred pick up that cynical yellow card. Um, just Fred didn't really have an answer. Both of them making their Premier League debuts. It was good to see. It was a big occasion at Old Trafford and good to see the lad step up. Now, I, I wouldn't say so much that, that Fred had a poor game as Madsen was having such a good game. In fact, once you saw him get pulled... Uh, about midway through the second half, uh, Fred really opened up into the game. Had a couple of passes that, uh, you know, um, that 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 led to opportunities. It seemed like he was getting it together. He was. Um, he really did have decisive play. Uh, he was passing the ball well. He was good in possession. Fred grew into the game. He had a little bit of a stop start opening twenty minutes or so, uh, but he really did grow into the game as well, and um, really did start to protect that United back line as he was brought in to do. So it's, it's a shame we have to talk about it because what you really want to do is talk about the 11 men on the field playing for the badge. But uh, it is season number three. It is Jose Mourinho. Is this the year of the meltdown as he is prone to do with every single club he's managed? I don't know because last year he did get the most points a Manchester United, uh, United manager has gotten since Sir Alex Ferguson left. He started to build on things. 
I think he believes that he called out the right people at the right time to motivate them at this stage in their career, i.e. Luke Shaw. But we'll see how he responds. I mean, it's only because Ashley Young wasn't fit that he played, in my opinion. True. So, so we'll see. They could win the league or they could finish in eighth. I mean, this this is going to be a theme throughout all of this. Right. Or Mourinho could be there the whole season and you could find them lifting the cup. Or, or it could he be could going be by per- Christmas. Precisely. Yeah. Like, who, who knows exactly what's going to happen. The talent's there. It's just, does, does it all click? Uh, that leads us into our first game of Saturday morning, which was... Tottenham Hotspur 2, which I'm sure you're really excited about, Sam, and Newcastle 1. Um, Now, that being said, we did get some correspondence already from uh, a few of our friends, and I thought uh, that our friend Rob brought up a very excellent question in concerns to Tottenham. He did. Uh, Rob writes in, are the Spurs that comfortable with their squad that they didn't feel the need to do anything in the transfer window, or are they just delusional? I think it's a mixture of both. And I think Rob brings up a great point. They decided to spend the money that they have, which isn't much, on a new stadium. That stadium got delayed, got delayed. Now they have an issue with their uh, safety clearance uh, and certificate to host people. So now that stadium opening is pushed back even further. Spurs will be back at Wembley for the opening part of the season. Went from 400 million pound to 1.2 billion. I think they didn't have the funds to bring in players. They also have a very specific performance-laden wage structure, which is, you know, not attractive to the top European talent, which is why they had to build this team from the ground up, as much as I hate to say it, especially stealing an Arsenal recruit in Harry Kane. Well, and those, when you look at that, the I think that's where the delusion comes in. I think that they feel that they have this, like, undying gratitude as players coming up through the, you know, Tottenham Academy, and... They don't. They're on really cheap wages right now, and at some point, bigger clubs are going to come calling. And I think that's the end of this year. So this is really a put up or shut up time. And the only way these guys are going to stay is if they win something. And after the World Cup hangover, considering all of those guys were like, you had Belgians, French, and Englishmen that all played till the final weekend of the World Cup, and they most of them started in this match. I mean, you saw a lot of them stretching after 60 minutes. Uh, I remember Young Vertonghen uh, saw Harry Kane stretching. He went anonymous for large parts of the game. I know it's August. He's still yet to score a Premier League goal in August. Uh, He is Arsenal's Mr. August on our calendar. Uh, But I just don't know what they're going to do. I mean, over the festive period, you're going to see injuries in this team. It's Something bad is going to happen. They should have reinforced. They didn't. They may fall out of the top four for me. You know, uh, it's funny you mentioned his non-scoring in August, but then he's going to turn around and end up with 35 and end up being the top scorer in the league for, what, a third season in a row? Yeah, you might (laughs) be right about that. And then Real Madrid's going to come calling for 350000 a week, and Tottenham's going to be stuck without a goal scorer. Uh, So how about on the other side of the ball, Newcastle? um, A couple of missed opportunities with – putting balls off the pipes, and with Tottenham showing a little bit of wear and tear, um, do you think they might have thought they let one get away? I do, especially when Solomon Rondon came on. He completely changed the complexity of the game. Kennedy had already shown flashes of it early on with his ability to run at defenders and get beyond people. He was unfortunate not to score uh, two times there. Um, But when Solomon Rondon came on, they actually had three or four great chances 
um, and failed to put him away. One of them was a great tackle by uh, Jan Vertonghen, and you, you can't take that away from him. But I really do think they're going to have problems. You know, um, John Joe Shelby seemed to, uh, you know, handle the field real well, was doing lots of passing. Uh, Lacachelle's, the, the, the central back, is just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, Lachelle's is, is awesome. Hey, look, you're gonna everybody, you're gonna learn. I murder, <laughs> murder everyone's name, so I'm gonna say everything the name wrong. Assassin, and, and and he's gonna mock me for it. And honestly, feel free to mock me on Twitter too. I don't mind. <laughs> um, so, with that being said, there was a four games at ten o'clock. Well, ten o'clock our time, the midday games, and uh, three of those four saw the same result, 2-0 wins. You had Palace beating Fulham 2-0, Bournemouth beating Cardiff 2-0, and Watford beating Brighton Ho Albion 2-0. Um, kind of all felt like the same game in a way. I mean, I know they each had differences, but it kind of all felt the same, didn't it, Sam? Kind of teams all around the same part of the table. It did. The only place I disagree with you is Palace and Fulham. In the early stages, Palace looked very nervous, uh, and Fulham did have a lot of opportunities. Where in the other two games, there weren't a ton of opportunities at all for either side. Um, just the the Premier League teams showed their class for me. Well, it's real simple. Bournemouth held serve at home. They were playing a team that we likely think is going to go right back down uh, in they Cardiff are City. Going down. Um, and Bournemouth did what they did. They got a goal midway through the first half at their uh, at their home grounds, and then you know, put quote unquote, I guess you could say a cherry, haha, like that pun, <laughs> put a cherry on top with a goal in the uh, 91st minute to seal the victory. Yeah. And, and that was excellent work, you know, right to the dying, uh, dying moments there. Simon Francis lost the ball originally and then won it back after the Cardiff defender took too much time. Great work, great movement by Wilson, tucked it right home. It was excellent. Uh, now, taking a look at um, Watford, uh, people have really kind of dogged Watford as being Possibly a team that could go down, uh, having a lot of problems. Obviously, the Marco Silva drama from the year before. Uh, they did lose uh, Richarlson to um, Everton. But it looks like uh, Pereira uh, just decided to take up the mantle and go score a brace in his uh, opening weekend. Yeah, it was really random uh, that he popped up at, at Watford. Um, he's a former Juventus player. And to come into Watford just seems odd to me. But he played well. We'll see if he can continue this form if he can find consistency he might be the difference between them finishing mid-table and being in a little bit of a relegation fight got it so um looking at palace i i think it's pretty safe to say this is wilford saha's team and it's all going to lie on his shoulders and frankly you have to wonder if he's going to get sold in january but in the meantime it's it's all him uh, unless they can figure out how to wake Benteke up from his three-year hibernation, I don't know where else they're going to get goals. And like we said with a few of Tottenham's players, if he continues his form this season that he showed last season and make Palace a different team, somebody bigger is going to come calling. Oh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. So the uh, fourth of the 10 o'clock games had Chelsea beating Huddersfield Town 3-0. Uh, very Quietly, unassumingly, kind of like every single game Chelsea plays. I would tend to agree with that. But under Antonio Conte, especially when he first took over, they were bombing forward. It was a formation not seen in England in years. 
and they showed this expansive, brilliant, in-your-face football. Under Maurizio Sarri, we saw it in the Community Shield, never really got out of the locker room. And now again in the first half, they started very slow, had very little going forward. They're giving the ball away cheaply. Huddersfield created chances. And if you do that next weekend against Arsenal, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. I I tend to agree. I, I tend to agree. But there's just something so weird about Chelsea. It's even the year with Conte, you know, they, they win the Premier League and you're just kind of like, wait, hold on. They, they won it? Like, yeah, huh? I, I agree with that. I mean, they had none of the play in that first half, really. Created one or two chances and somehow went into the halftime uh, with a 2 0 lead. I, I still am perplexed. Yeah, it's they, they, you can see individual players who are just amazing. Like, Willian is phenomenal. Hazard, who obviously didn't come on until towards the end of the match, is phenomenal. But at the same time, you're just never really convinced by what they do. Yeah, exactly. Um, until Eden Hazard came in, they didn't look in complete control of that game. Although, the halftime talk, they did come out stretching their legs a little bit more in the second half, uh, even with the same players on the field. Cool. Well, um, so that being said, the only draw of the of the weekend saw a 10-man Everton team. Let's go Toffees. Guess who I like. Uh, twice take the lead, only to see the Wolves even the game at the Molyneux. Um, Sam, what did you think of the match? Uh, best nap I ever had. Yeah, oh, stop it. <laughs> I, I would say it was probably one of the more livelier matches of the weekend. After literally almost falling asleep during the first half of Chelsea Huddersfield, this definitely livened the day up for me. Uh, I just like to give you crap because I know you like Everton. <laughs> um, there's a lot to unpack here in those early stages. I think Everton dominated the game uh, until that red card happened. I mean, if you go down to 10 men, you're always going to be in trouble uh, in this league, as fast and as physical as it is. But you all still created chances, uh, even down to 10 men. Um, and I, I don't think that Wolves really deserved it. I think it was just kind of a, a happenstance of we're at the Molyneux, it's bumping, people are going crazy, our blood's rushing, and here we are. And it's funny because Wolves have really been kind of picked by just about everybody as a dark horse. In fact, in the odds, now granted, their odds are very far from winning the English Premier League, but they're actually the eighth best odds in the league. And a lot of people, heck, including uh, the NBC coverage, and of course I'm slanted because I'm an Everton fan, but man, you would have thought the history of the game of football started with Wolverhampton. <laughs> you know, it was it was qu- qu- quite uh, a, a bit much, to be honest yeah, with you. Um, I, I agree. And you know, we could debate the the Jagielka red card. Uh, no, we can't. It was ten, red. Look, ten, 10 years ago, is that even a call? Uh, maybe not 10 years, maybe 12. Yeah, it's probably not <laughs> even a call. Now, but I'll, I'll agree. In this, what this day and age's game is, your spike's up into a shin, it's it's a red card. You're done. See now, you and, and, and despite the fact that the FA got the call wrong, the FA claimed that it was a, um impeachment of a definite goal-scoring opportunity, the ball was going in the other direction. If they had said it was for a violent tackle, that would have made sense, right? Now, the, the thing that I found interesting was taking nothing away from Nevis' kick. That free kick Inch was nasty inch perfect <laughs> nasty and, and jordan pickford still got a finger to it, it that's that was amazing that he actually got to it but i'm um, not sure if you noticed but the nbc uh coverage uh recapped it they moved the ball five yards forward 
I did not see that. <laughs> and yeah. I would I would dare say that certainly made a difference considering that it was right on the outside of the 18 probably, as opposed to 25 yeah. yards back. It probably would have went wide at that point. R- right, precisely. Oh, um, Richarlson with the brace. Um, Marco Silva apparently is the Brazilian whisperer and knows how to make this guy play. Yeah, he does. Um, we saw his great start at Watford last year where he really made his name. Uh, and then... Obviously, when you turned Marco Silva's head around December, uh, Richarlison was unhappy with that and then decided, I'm not going to score any more goals this year. Uh, and then he says, oh, crap, we're almost going to get relegated. I should probably score a couple goals, and then maybe I'll get myself a move to wherever Marco Silva is, <laughs> which is exactly what happened. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Everton is widely called the People's Club, and uh, Richarlison definitely has endeared himself to quote the people upon scoring his first goal, grabbed the crest, kissed it, ran right in front of the uh, fans from Everton that made the trip out to the stadium. Then later on, and apparently he's been doing this with every single um, preseason match as well. He takes off his jersey and gives it to one of the Everton kids like fans, gives him a kiss on the head and then walks into the uh, stands. The kind of thing that folklore is made of as far as uh, Evertonians go. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. And whenever you score two goals in your debut, you're going to adhere yourself to the fans anyway. Um, I thought both finishes were excellent. The first one was a true poacher's goal. The second just waited that split second, had the wherewithal to, to just hold his shot until the defender screened the goalkeeper and put it right where the defender came from, only place the goalie couldn't see it. It was brilliant. Um, I was I felt bad for Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, for having to be sacrificed because of uh, Phil Jack Yelka's silly mistake. Um, I thought you all probably would have run out 3-1 if that hadn't happened with Gilfie's creativity and some of those things that were going on. Um, I do want to thank you for the $20 million for Theo Walcott. Thanks for taking that train wreck off our hands. Um, no, but overall, no, no people two years ago, he was Theo Walcott's the greatest player ever. I love him. He's a gunner. He did throat. score a hat trick on my wedding day. <laughs> okay, very good. That being said, I thought you all deserved to win the game even still, going ahead twice, even though you were down to 10 men with your experience. I thought that you could have done it. I just think the legs went a little bit. I think it was helter-skelter. You had, again, the, the bombing atmosphere around uh, around the ground, and um, it kind of got to you a little bit. Think, think about it. Five Five potential starters, not even in the lineup. I mean, they had a very yep. busy transfer window, and we'll get into that another time. But uh, so that rounded out the Saturday games. But going into the Sunday games, saw us take a little uh, walk across Stanley Park over to Anfield. As we saw the red side of the Mersey, Liverpool completely dominate the Hammers of West Ham 4 0. Uh, the first word that I have here on my notes is dominance. Uh, you completely summed it up. Um, I would have liked to have seen Allison uh, tested a little bit more. With Jack Wilshire's industry and creativity, I thought that he might have been able to release Anatovic, uh once or twice, especially with the shaky back line. But Liverpool played it perfectly. Completely shut down everything they had going forward. I thought Naby Keita... Looked like he'd been playing in Klopp's system for five years. He completely settled, calm, relaxed. Um, it, what can you say about that front line? I, well, you yeah. have you have uh, Sala on one end, and then Sturridge on the other end. Uh, on his first touch of the match, bookending 
two goals from Mane. Now we can certainly say the one was offsides, but the one was offsides. It, it was it was complete dominance and kind of doing what you see from a Klopp side is great passing, quick speed, and then all of a sudden there's a guy on the goal line tapping the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and I was really excited about the two outside backs for Liverpool. The uh, young Scotsman Robertson and the young Englishman Alexander-Arnold. I thought their delivery was excellent. Their ambition going forward was brilliant. And it was Robertson that played the ball across, and I still can't figure out how James Milner's playing, but he made up eight yards real quick to slide in and had the wherewithal to put it right back in the middle, dead on Sané's foot. Or, uh, I'm sorry, that was Salah's goal. Right on Salah's foot uh, while the entire West Ham back line took a nap. You know, I have to say, you can't just hold it against uh, the the defense. I think Fabianski has to be held accountable as well. Uh, that's a ball coming across the face of the goal inside the six-yard line. He did that twice where all he had to do was maybe fall out and knock it away. Now, of course, that means put the potential of a rebound, but he was playing this kind of slide across. I'm going to predict where the ball is going. And while he made a few good saves doing it, he also got burned really bad. Yeah, he did. In in that situation with with that forward line, again, with those particular players on the pitch and that reaction, I think he's damned if you do, damned if you don't, in my opinion. I mean, if he cuts across and, and gets a hand to it, well, guess what? Sadio Mane's on the back post ready to take it from you. Or... Nabi Keita coming in at the top of the box for that rebound while you're in no man's land. It's it, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think he made that one brilliant save on Mo Salah from a similar situation, and he was just unfortunate the two times. I mean, you expect any one of those players to put the ball away anywhere from 12 yards in, and they were only six. True. Uh, now, that also being said, as we're talking here about uh, Liverpool, is this the team to knock City out of winning back-to-back titles. They were the team that knocked them out of winning the Champions League last season. Very true. They beat them in the league as well. Um, one of the two times. The other one was an unfortunate red card to Mane last year, and um, they never recovered from that. But they have all the pieces. They strengthened in the right areas, where at the end of the season you saw how bad that midfield was hurting because they had no one to bring in. They have Navi Keita. They have Fabinho who can play there. If Trent Alexander-Arnold or Robertson goes down, Fabinho also plays outside back. Um, another utility man with James Milner. I think they have the pieces now, and if they can keep Sturge fighting fit, any one of those front three loses their their form, obviously he can slot right in. Well, it. I think the biggest thing is, you know, Van Dyken aside as far as carrying that defense. Uh, and, of course, the, the two young outside backs are doing a great job. But if Van Dyke goes down, you're then back to Lovren, and that's not oh, wait, good. Wait, wait. He was the greatest center back in the world, according to himself, after yeah, he, the World Cup. He, he, yes. <laughs> he does very well every four years at the World Cup. <laughs> and I think it might have something to do with the fact that he's got, what, Radetic and Modric sitting in front of him the whole game? Yeah. That might have that something to do with something why do with he's it. such a great back. Yeah. Um, he uh, um, is as delusional as uh, David Levy is. Or, <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel Levy. Yeah, Tottenham's chairman. Yes, or as uh, delusional as one of the most amazing uh, players to ever don a Gooners jersey, Nicholas Bentner. You don't talk about Lord Bentner. <laughs> you leave that man alone. So, 
um, pardon me. So Sammy, when we uh, thought about doing this podcast, the example I told you that we were going to have to eventually deal with would be when Burnley played Southampton and we would have to make it exciting. I said that not realizing that the first match of the week of the season would be Burnley going to Southampton. So, um, Sam, can you make this ex- exciting of a nil-nil draw? I can't seem to find my notes on this one <laughs> because uh, it wasn't good. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's really, there's really not much to say. I for for Burnley, they did precisely what they do. They go on the road. They placed out defense. They don't lose the game. They take a point. And they wait to play you at home where they think they're going to beat you one nothing. Yeah, I mean, that That being said, they really did win one nothing um, because there was a goal disallowed for offsides and it wasn't. Um, hashtag VAR. But you, you get what you get with them. I mean, they're, they're what Jose Mourinho truly inspires to be. <laughs> the next Burnley manager. Yeah, I mean, when Sean Dice stops eating those earthworms on the training ground and falls off, I think Jose's slotting right in there. I really do. It's a, a perfect defensive game from them. Granted, Danny Ings hasn't played proper football for a couple of years due to injury. Charlie Austin the same way. It's going to be difficult for them to really find a run of form, I think. Um, and they also lost their most creative player for Southampton in Dusan Tadic. Uh, now James Ward-Prowse, the young Englishman, he's going to have a lot of weight on his shoulders. If any one of those people gets hurt, which is prone to do, I don't know that they're going to find the goals to stay in the division. I also just want to throw in that Mark Hughes cannot coach, and he's a fake. Oh, so apparently you have very strong feelings about old Sparky, huh? I can't stand Sparky. The <laughs> only reason he did anything as Man City manager was because he had Rubinho. Oh, now, there's if somebody wanted to debate you on Southampton, and, and trust me, I'm not being that guy. I'm just playing devil's advocate. One would say they lose a big player every single year. And every single year they find a way to survive. And well, this year, they, this past season, they survived. The seasons before that, they thrived and would continue to finish in, in the top seven even. They'd be seventh, eighth place every time. That was before Liverpool bought their whole team. <laughs> Very true. So, rounding out the weekend. Not probably something that my counterpart across the table wants to talk about. Unfortunate. But the champions, Manchester City, kept the train rolling as they beat the Gunners 2-0 at the Emirates. Sammy, what's your overall thoughts on your squad? Uh, Getting beat on our own patch wasn't fun. Um, But I think the new signings played fairly well. Ganduzi's young. He gave the ball away a few times, but I thought that he was strong in the tackle. He wasn't afraid to go in, except the one time he slipped on Raheem Sterling for the opening goal. Um, I think Socrates did very well. Uh, And I'm really happy with Aubameyang and his movement. It's just the service today wasn't there. We didn't have as much as the ball as we normally do, so I think that'll rectify itself. It's the best team in Europe now that Real's lost Cristiano. You know, there there's going to be the favorites for every competition they're involved in Manchester City. You know, I wanted to think that there would be a hangover from the season that they had last year, and I know it's early, but you watch the 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 Community Shield, and then you watch this first match and they weren't playing dogs. They were playing good squads and they played these good squads 
with a lot of reserves, mind you, and they bossed both of them. Yeah, I I don't want to judge Arsenal on this performance. It's 22 years of history weighing over the Emirates right now and judging Unai Emery with every ounce of it. It's generations of Arsenal supporters looking down at you, saying, what are you going to do? Looking at the new signings. And again, Genduzzi in particular, because he's so young, stepped up to the occasion, I think, as well as he could have, and blooded in very well. I really enjoyed when Lucas Torreira came on, seemed up for it, seemed ready to go. As he performed for Uruguay in the World Cup, I think he's, he's won for now. And I would be surprised if you see Genduzzi start um, at the weekend. You think they try to put uh, Xhaka up the field and realize that Xhaka is not a holding midfielder, finally? Yeah. I mean, Arsene Wenger was known for taking players and moving them around to the position he thought that they would play in. Thierry Henry scored three goals during his Juventus career because he, they thought he was a winger. Arsene Wenger put him as a center forward. He was our all-time leading goal scorer with 200-odd goals. Um for whatever reason, he fancied Granite Xhaka, maybe just because of his first name, as a defensive midfielder. And that was probably the biggest mistake over the last three years. He links up play well for Switzerland and plays just in front of that player. So I think Lucas Torreira and or Matteo Ganduzzi are going to open him up to be able to link that play from back to front and free up Mesut Ozil to float and do what he needs to do. And that's create. Interesting you should bring up uh, KD Lang's jo- uh, doppelganger. Um, if you don't know who KD Lang is, do a gim- Google image sh- search and you will see that it is Mesut Ozil. Absolutely, positively, no doubt about it. Um, Ozil, disappearing act again. Ozil, disappearing act all the time. It seems like he's a professional footballer that doesn't particularly like playing football. I don't agree with that. The two best chances we had, Ozil created. He was the one that linked that play from Xhaka, coming in from the back line, took a touch, played it out wide, and Mkhitaryan played it over to Bellerin for the for the one real open chance that we had. He then also stole the ball off of Ederson's terrible roll, which I don't know why he wanted to gift us the ball so bad, but he did. <laughs> Ozil busted a gut to get there, got there, played it to Lacazette, and Lacazette decided that he didn't want to be a selfish center forward for a change. Don't know why. Left it for Ozil. Ederson came out and and gathered. Um, He's a luxury player. He is a flash player. He is not going to do the tracking back, even though we did see that one or two times. There's no reason for him to be standing next to Matteo Ganduzzi on Manchester City goal kicks. That's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know why Aaron Ramsey fancied himself a center forward that day, but he did. Um, I don't know why Granite Jaka was allowing Ozil to step forward. Uh, or I'm sorry, step back. Uh, pardon me. It, it's ridiculous. He is that free role in the middle that has no responsibilities. He is Zinedine Zidane yeah, of but this he also, generation. But, but he also seems to have no responsibilities. He seems to, if the game isn't coming to him, he seems to absolutely not care. And honestly, that's something that could be cancerous to a, to a lineup or a locker room. Does, does Emery reach a point where, where Wenger didn't, does he reach a point where he's got to bench him just to kind of prove a point of, Hey, look, you need to run. You need to work. Everybody else out here is is hustling. You need to, too. 
I do think that he has a bit of an ego about him and a bit of a chip on his shoulder. So if somebody's not playing up to the quality that he wants to play or doesn't read his idea the same way that, that he saw it in his head before it happened, he gets a little upset. I mean, a few times you saw his body language and he was throwing the hand up and, you know, slapping his thigh and those sorts of things. Um, I think that despite his age of 29, I think he's still in his mind a young player. And that's not necessarily conducive to Emery's pressing style of play. Well, uh, let's go ahead and turn the dial back towards uh, City here while we have it. Hey, everybody, newsflash. Raheem Sterling can finish a play. Yeah, oh, my court, God. My luck goal. could be against us. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't do it in the World Cup to save his life, but, man, did he finally decide to finally finish one here. That was terrible. I couldn't believe it. Um, Ganduzi stepped out to, to challenge. He had a little slip, which Sterling is fast anyway, and really did um, – that slip gave him that extra half a yard uh, to just fire past check. I think check saw it late, didn't even get his arms up before it already hit the back of the net. It was unfortunate, but good goal. So, uh, Pep, always wanting to use the quote-unquote sweeper keeper. I don't think if there was one flaw in the Manchester City game, the uh, game plan was certainly Edison, who tried to give the ball, I, I counted it in the second half, tried to give the ball to Arsenal five times. Yeah. Just flat out kicked the ball to them on their half of the field. That's got to be a bit concerning. For them, yeah. For me, it was wonderful to see. Um, although we didn't do anything with it, which sucks. I was going to say, um, as, as, as just a silent <laughs> observer, it was kind of fun to watch yeah. you guys screw up all five opportunities. Um, so he said last year that that if they needed him to, he could play in the midfield for Manchester City in this league. And I think that these little mistakes, these little things, and yes, he's young, and that'll come with age, and that'll come with his experience. But these little things prove that he can't do that. <laughs> he needs to the, – the reason Manuel Neuer is so good for Bayern Munich at sweeper keeping is because for the most part, 99% of the time, he just gets rid of the ball. His distribution, though, is very good, so he always finds feet. It, yes, he's had his couple of cutbacks here and there that, you know, somebody has taken off, clean off his foot and scored. I was going to say, except for when he's playing South Korea and yeah, he fancies it, himself a striker. I mean, that, that happens ball. from time to time, sure. I mean, you're going to get that with anybody that confident. But Ederson, if he toned it down a little bit and just got rid of the ball but still found his distribution channels, I think he'd, he'd be the best goalkeeper in the world because he's a decent shot stopper also. Well, that wraps up the week in the Premier League, so – now, we're going to just take a uh, opportunity to show you what little we actually know about soccer. It's prediction time. Uh, real quick, in the off chance uh, Mr. Emery's listening to me, play Aubameyang and Lacazette together, please. Oh, my God. Uh, they, they really looked good together. They used them all preseason. Why aren't they using them? I don't. I think he gave Pep too much respect. Anyway, like you said, let's move on. So, um, only because we now do a podcast, I'm going to have to get up at 7.30 in the morning on Saturday, uh, Eastern Time, to watch Newcastle travel to Cardiff City. Sammy, what do you think? So, I think Newcastle wins comfortably, even though they're away. The Cardiff fans are rabid. They're excellent fan base. They're going to be loud. They're going to be crazy. But I just don't think Cardiff really has anything. I mean, the last time they were here, they fought hard. They were physical. But in the end, they got romped. I think Newcastle walks out of here comfortably 2 or 3 nil. 
Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think I think it's a two nil game. I think Cardiff is destined to go right back down and heck maybe do as bad as uh, the Derby County team that historically was the worst in the Premier League. What they need to do is get rid of Neil Warnock. He is not a Premier League manager. He's taken down three clubs. You think he's the first guy out the door? Absolutely. Okay, very good. So the midday games have uh, Southampton having to travel on the road to good old Goodison Park. I'll amend that. As long as Jose doesn't quit himself because he's just a miserable prick, <laughs> Neil Warnock will be out the door first. <laughs> All right. So uh, tell me tell me your thoughts on Southampton traveling to Everton. Um Everton's going to find it difficult to break down that South, uh, Southampton defense, but they will dominate uh, possession. I think that this draw that they just had down to 10 men for a majority of the game will give them confidence. They might have to work for it and work for it hard, but they're going to walk out again two, three win, uh, two or three nil winners, in my I, opinion. I, I see a grinder, you know, a a goal probably right near the end of the half and then a goal around the 70th minute mark to secure it. And then they just kind of go, all right, we got this one in hand. Let's just leave it where it is. So either two, nothing, or maybe Southampton gets a, gets in one and gets it on them a two to one. But I don't, I don't see where Everton loses this match. And honestly for Everton, unlike last season, it's a very favorable first five games for them. Now, and who was the center back that you brought in on loan from Stoke? Uh, well, it's right not Stoke, at, right it was uh, Chelsea, uh, Zuma. Oh, he was on loan at Stoke last season. I'm sorry. You're right. He <laughs> played for Chelsea. But Kurt Zuma is going to come in at the weekend, and Phil Jack Yelka will never get his place back. Um, do you think it's him, or do you think it's uh, uh, Mina? No. The Colombian? I don't. No. I don't. I don't think it's Harry Mina. I do I do like our um, our brand-new farm club, Barcelona FC. Yeah, from the, uh, that's right. From the offseason, taking <laughs> three Lefeu. players from. Hold on, De La Feu. Right, from back in the ago. day. Yeah. Then you had, no, Royston Drenth was uh, Madrid. Was, you was have Madrid. Uh, Yuri, Yuri Mina, you have uh, Lucas Dingue, and now uh, Andres Gomez on a uh, season-long loan with an option to buy if he plays well. Yeah. Uh, the, and uh, then you could sell him back for an immense t- profit t- like you did De La Feu. Toffees had themselves a hell of a transfer window, all things considered, yeah. even though they caught a lot of flack for the uh, – Overspending on uh, Richarlison, quote unquote, but I, uh, uh, you know what, I gotta get you a brace in the opener and endears himself to the fans. That's you know, the guy o- in the right direction. The other thing I'd say about that is the transfer window they had last year that seemed to be only focused in on every number ten on the planet has now been spent broadly, yeah. and makes your team much more balanced. And absolutely. I'm, I'm impressed to see what's going to happen. I'm anxious to see what's going to happen. I'm not impressed yet because it hadn't happened. So the eighth favorite to win the league, uh, Wolverhampton, uh, Wolverhampton uh, Wolves. Yeah, put are, 50 quid on that. Yeah, are, uh, are heading out to the team that did actually surprise everybody and win a, uh, what was it, five 500 to one odds for Leicester 5, City? 5,000. 5,000 to one, to that's one right. Odds. We're yeah. top of the league, 5,000 to one. Um, so uh, heading on out to the King Power to play Leicester City. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting matchup, this one. Um, I think the King Power is going to be jumping. Again, they finally got rid of the bleach blonde Riyad Mahrez, uh, who just went AWOL in the middle of last season because he wanted to leave so bad. Um, I think it's going to be a, a great game. Could be end-to-end stuff. I mean, Wolves, there's never been a team in this league that has basically been put together by a single agent. Um, it's not illegal, which a lot of people were questioning, but... Jorge Mendez was basically given the reins to the club and said, sign your players, just make sure they complement each other. 
I think that's why they're everyone's dark horse. That's why they're eighth in the betting. Um, it's going to be a good game, and let's hope Vardy's fit and we can see a true Leicester City against a true Wolverhampton. I, I tell you, at the start before the season started, I was a little bit concerned about what Leicester City was going to be minus Morez, and I don't think they're going to miss him one bit. Keeping Maguire was huge. Oh, yeah. I was really kind of convinced this was they were going to do like a Southampton fall from grace like they did last year, find themselves in a battle at the end. I think this team is securely eighth, ninth place easily. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree with that. And if they can figure out, Madison can get that maturity up, if they can figure out how to play together and hit teams on the break like they did before because they still do have Jamie and Vardy yeah. up front. Um, who is a ruthless finisher and doesn't need a great angle to do it, I think they could find themselves in the Europa League places if other teams aren't careful. So I tell you, we've got ourselves uh, two derbies this weekend. Uh, for those who don't know what a derby is, it's a in-city rivalry. Uh, we'll get to the other one a little bit later, but the first one has Fulham heading on over to play Tottenham, not in their new stadium because they can't seem to figure that out. Yeah, the toilet bowl fell in <laughs> from the top. Yeah, you settle down now. They're uh, heading on over to play them in Wembley. What's your thoughts on that match? I think Tottenham walks out comfortable winners. I do think Mitrovic is going to give Tottenham problems up front for Fulham. Um, but Tottenham should definitely have the wherewithal, the experience, and the gumption to take this Fulham team and, and smash them. I have a feeling Fulham will eventually get into Premier League play again, and I think they'll be a team that will be safe and manage to stay up. Um, it's just not going to happen this week. They're going to lose. They're going to lose to Tottenham. Oh yeah, I mean they were the first promoted team to ever spend a hundred million in the summer. Hey, well, it's clear they don't want to go back down again. No, they they don't. And they they're, do they're not want to go back. They're down hedging again. all their bets. Um, what I see for for me, it's going to be three one to Tottenham. I just Harry Kane probably finally breaks his August duck. Yeah, I I would agree. So next game coming up is Bournemouth heading out to West Ham. Does uh, West Ham right all the wrongs and get it together? Because they certainly have the talent and the coaching pedigree to do well, but they just ran into a buzzsaw with Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, that's always going to be a tough place, especially at Anfield um, in that first first week new coach a bunch of new players because the the owners finally dipped into their pockets they finally stopped selling everyone uh because west ham is a lot like southampton they're very selling clubs they raise them up they you know their team previously held jermaine defoe frank lampard they had um rio ferdinand you know names of old that came went on to be england greats um in the team they were coached by harry redknapp at that time and decided that money was more important and sold everyone. Yeah. Um, for me, I think they're going to start to get it right. And again, Bournemouth is a mixed bag from time to time. I think people have figured them out. And with the new coach, Emmanuel Pellegrini, who is a Premier League winner, a proven coach, with all the new players, I think they start to get it right after that experience uh, last week in Anfield. I have it as a score and draw one-to-one. I, I think West Ham wins two-to-one. To be honest with you, I think I think that they're inspired to be home. I think they want to do right by the home fans after what happened at Anfield, and they want to start start the ball rolling. This is one of those kind of teams where I could very easily look at them being in like seventh place, and you go, "Oh wow, look at that! West Ham's in seventh place." 
or they could be in 17th place. And you go, oh, wow, look, West Ham's in 17th place. Yeah, I, I with the again, with Manuel Pellegrini coming in, I think he'll get that team much more organized. I think they got David Moyes at the wrong time because it seemed like the kind of club that he would be as he established you all as a, a solid 6th to 10th place club uh, all those years ago. I think he wasn't ready for the Man United job. It shot his confidence. It showed with Sunderland. He didn't know what he was doing anymore. And then he came to West Ham, and basically all he taught them to do was defense. Right. Um, and they finally started to run, and everything was fine. The Now with Manuel Pellegrini, they'll learn to play a little bit more expansive. They'll figure out how to do things. Uh, and I think they do have a good player in Anatovic and a good engine in Jack Wilshire. I think that you're going to see them do well this season. So the late game on Saturday sees the other London derby happening, which is Arsenal facing Chelsea going to Stamford Bridge. How do you feel uh, your Gunners are going to do? Are they going to rebound? It depends. If Chelsea starts off like they did against Huddersfield, I think, as I said earlier, I think we're going to pounce on that. Um, we have the pace. We have the finishing ability. And we're going to have more of the ball this time. If N'Golo Conte starts, we're in trouble. I mean, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal central uh, midfielder. I'm sorry, defensive midfielder. And uh, just breaks up the play brilliantly. And if we can't get it going and Mesut Ozil disappears for stretches, we're going to be in trouble. We, You know, with their pace, we don't have a ton of pace at the back. And with Willian and Hazard and, and Pedro running at us, we might be in a world of hurt. Well, myself, I personally, I see it. I see it coming out as a draw. Um, I would like to think the Gunners could win it because I think they're the more talented squad. But I have it some, as two to one Arsenal. Some, something about being at the bridge, they just seem to kind of throw up all over themselves. So I imagine, I imagine a two-two draw, a game that you'll look back at and go, "Man, we should have gotten three points at that one." Yeah, I. It might be the bias. I have it as two one. As I said, I I don't. It's a little bit hard to judge what Arsenal is at the moment after playing, again, the best team in Europe. You know, I, 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 I think you're the better team. I just, you know, I just don't know if the, the confidence will be there to get the actual win and finish it out. So Sunday morning early, we have uh, Huddersfield Town playing, uh, going to the Etihad to play Manchester City. Dear Lord. Oh, dear Lord. I really, really feel for Huddersfield Town. Yeah, um, if you want to see a shooting gallery as opposed to going to church, skip it and watch this game. If you just want to see some people, a group of human beings, utterly embarrassed and made fools of at their profession, watch this game. City will run rampant, in my opinion, and they would be terribly unlucky to not walk out five or six no winners without breaking a sweat. So after after the match, uh, my my guy to get fired first is uh, who I think is going to be David Wagner for uh, Huddersfield Town. He's going to sit there and go, you know, yeah, you know, we we just didn't have it today as we we, we lost eight to nothing and it was uh, it was it was hard, but you know, you know, there, there were there were moments of brilliance, but sometimes you're going to lose games. It's just what's going to happen, you know. I just hope we finish in seventeenth place and stay up. Yeah, that, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think they strengthened in the right areas, and that. You know, we're here and we're going to announce ourselves and play some football. I, that's not you. That's not your team. That's not what you're good at. You shouldn't be doing it against Chelsea. You should never do it against City. And you're going to struggle if 
if you choose to play that way the entire season. So in the other early game, we have uh, Watford traveling to uh, Burnley. Um, this is one of those games where you you fancy to see Burnley win one nothing. You know, it just they're going to play stout defense. They're going to counterattack three or four times, and Dice's team's going to put one away. Yeah, I think Watford will control the ball, but obviously, as anyone does, they're going to struggle to break down Burnley. Uh, they have to find a way to test this back line that that never really got tested against Cardiff. Right. I think they can be got at. They were got at last season tremendously, uh, as we saw through the middle part of the season last year. Um, it's going to be dogged, but a potential for a quality counterattack. I think we're going to have an exciting nil-nil. Hmm. I, I figure it's going to be one nil to Burnley, or it's one one because uh, Joe Hart makes a mistake. I just I think there's going to be chances on the counter, um, and with Perea uh, running the way that he he did uh, a few days ago, I think he, there's going to be a few chances that you wouldn't normally see. So going into the Sunday late game, we have uh, Manchester United going to Brighton Hove Albion. Um, I believe they lost points to them. When they traveled out to see them, didn't they? I think it was like a two to one Brighton win or something like that. I think you're right. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, that ain't happening this time. No, I have uh, the, what the first four words I have here are United two nil should be four nil. That that sounds exactly like United right now. Yeah, um, they're uh, you know simply because as soon as people start to express themselves for Manchester United, Jose Mourinho sees fit to sub them off. <laughs> they score in the first five minutes, yeah. and then he's going to revert them all back to defense. Yeah. We need all 11 behind midfield. Exactly. It, you, you'll see Marcus Rashford or Lukaku, whoever's playing through the middle, is going to literally be one step beyond midfield, running sideline to sideline to prove to the manager he's worth his defensive qualities. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They have a plethora of attacking ta- uh, attacking talent against a team that really has nothing going forward anyway. You could put me back there, and I could stave off a Brighton and Hove Albion counterattack <laughs> if I had the front line that they have. It, it's ridiculous. All right, so rounding out the uh, final week for the game uh, week of games, we have some Monday night football happening. We got uh, Liverpool traveling to Selhurst Park to face Crystal Palace. What do you think? I think this might be the game that would have gotten Roy Hodgson fired had it been in November. <laughs> uh, Liverpool is going to dominate again. There will be multiple goals. It won't be as bad as City's um, demolition of Huddersfield, but it will be bad. Another three or four nil, in my opinion. I hope that Wilfred Zaha can stretch that <laughs> that shaky back line a little bit and test Allison, and we can see what he's got. Well, um. I, I think kind of now I think Liverpool's winning this match. I think kind of the opposite. If this was in November, this is exactly the kind of game Liverpool loses because they love to lose to teams they shouldn't lose to at their park. It happened to Swansea last season. I right. remember that. But but uh, but not not this time. I think I think Liverpool goes on a run. I think they. I think we see another three four goal match. Yeah, I mean I'm I I'm putting it th- I'm putting it three nil. Um, and if Palace score, it's only going to bring the wrath down harder. So if it's not 3-0, it's going to be 4-1 or 5-1. Sam, we would be remiss if we didn't take an opportunity to talk about the club of our heart. That's right, people. You all don't know it, but I am talking about the mighty Drunkard United FC. 
a team that loves to drink beer post-game every single week. Sammy, why don't you tell the good folks about Drunkard United? Uh, so basically, there was a bunch of us that worked in restaurants. You were in liquor sales at the time. Oh, no, we started as you were a bartender, didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we just liked to drink, and we all worked in the industry. What better team name than Drunkard United? Uh, so we get together every Tuesday night, and basically in the latest edition of I'm Too Old for This Shit, try to figure out how to play soccer still. <laughs> well, and because I have a big empty hole in the middle of my life, I've, uh, I've retired from playing goalkeeper about five years ago, but I now spend that time every Tuesday night standing on the sideline yelling at a bunch of grown men. And we wouldn't be the same without you, mate. I appreciate it. So, uh... Drunker United between seasons. The next season starts tomorrow night, but each week we're actually going to give you a little recap of what they what we did as a team, uh, just for the hell of it. And we have mics and we want to talk about ourselves. So, Drunker United uh, this past week had a stunning one one draw in the consolation match for third place, where it was an own goal and a goalie getting his feet tied and falling backwards as a ball went in the net. So stunning, (laughs) thrilling, heart-pounding soccer. I was on vacation this past week and was not privileged enough to witness this. Um, (laughs) But that sounds fantastic. Sounds like proper beer league football. And um, I'm excited to be back tomorrow night. Excellent. And we will uh, give you updates on how the team does all season at uh, the Soccer Dome in lovely Jessup, Maryland. In I was going to say, Division one. we should probably point out that that 1-1 draw happened indoors yes. on, a, on a field no bigger than 45 yards. Yes, indoor soccer saw a thrilling 1-1 draw. Um, <laughs> well, hey, everybody, thank you very much for uh, joining us. This is our first go at it, and I have to say it's been a lot of fun doing And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, Sam, any parting words for anybody? Yeah, just a couple. Um, You can always reach out to the show again. We're at DU Football Show on Twitter and Instagram. DU Football Show at gmail.com. And The DU Football Show on Facebook. I did want a special mention for my spirit animal, Steven Licksteiner for Arsenal. The 34-year-old Swiss dickhead. I am a dickhead defender. And for his first yellow card in his first 10 minutes in an Arsenal shirt for descent, I, I'm i buying his shirt next week. I, <laughs> I, have to, I have to do it. Excellent. Well, everybody, for my co-host Sam Graham, I'm Sam Houston. And just want to remind you, enjoy your football the same way you enjoy your whiskey, however the hell you want. Good night, everybody. Good night.